0: This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. Sadly, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of those incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's. So if you see a child unattended and you can't locate their parents, call 911. If the child looks unresponsive, do whatever it takes to get him or her out safely, including breaking the window. Your actions could save the life of a child.
2: From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore.
0: Right off the top, if you are looking for specific forecast information on Henri, I invite you, I implore you to go to our AccuWeather app. Our AccuWeather website, AccuWeather.com, our great network. Uh, Over the top now with Roku, you can check in there. Or our great media partners up and down the eastern seaboard, including 1010 Winds and WBZ in Boston. These are all places that you can get the greatest information and the best and latest information on Henri as we'll be talking about that with our Senior Vice President and Chief Meteorologist John Porter at the end of our segment with some generalized information here at the end of the podcast. But this week in our first Rays of Focus segment, we are talking power outages. Friends, they're happening with increasing frequency, their durations are getting longer, and the effects on our lives and our businesses, well, it's becoming increasingly taxing to both our health and our bottom lines. A real-life example played out just last week. Detroit seemed to bear the brunt of the worst of the burden of a combination of very flooding thunderstorms and damaging wind gusts over Wednesday and Thursday. I think hundreds of thousands of people were without power. I happened to be on the air during that time, especially the thunderstorms that rolled through Thursday morning. So, joining me now, Rob Davidek. He's the news director and brand manager of our great AccuWeather Radio partner. Odyssey radio station WWJ, News Radio 950. And Rob and I talk about the impacts and the frustration that's growing in Detroit and certainly across the country about this fact that these power outages are happening more frequently and lasting longer and how that's affecting the folks in Detroit. So, Rob, uh, as uh, I've known pretty firsthand, it has been extremely busy in the Detroit area with uh, lots of thunderstorms and lots of power outages. In fact, I think it was one day last week where there was over six, seven, eight hundred thousand people out just uh, in the matter of hours because of you know, repeated rounds of showers and thunderstorms overnight and into the next morning. And it seems like it's been an an inordinate amount of that, right? From your experience of being in Detroit, working at WWJ as long as you have, do you remember a summer like this in recent memory with all these storms and all these problems with power?
1: No, it really, Dean, it's been about probably a month and a half uh, to two months where it's been heavy rain, heavy rain, heavy rain, and then with that comes the winds and this past week, you know, we last week, right. We had over a million customers right. across Michigan out, right. It hit the West side of the state first, and then it moved over and And everybody was surprised. The one thing that got us was this hit at like three o'clock in the afternoon. It came through. Everybody was telling us it only hit, took 20 minutes, but 75 mile an hour winds in, in one place. Then you had. You know, there are a couple of locations you have 40, 50 mile an hour winds. But then we saw like 60, 62, 63 mile an hour winds at Metro Airport at a couple of other locations throughout uh, Michigan and Metro Detroit. And all of a sudden, the numbers were just, it was amazing looking. We were in a meeting and somebody came in and said, oh, we got 12,000 outages. And it's like, okay, well, we better start watching a little closer. Next time, which is about five minutes, we were up to 50,000. We get in contact with DTE and we have a partnership with them when it hits 100,000. And probably within the first half hour to 20 minutes or 40 minutes of that, we went from like 12,000 up to 80 to 90,000. And so it was that quick these, these outages came.
0: Do you think this has been ramping up for the DTE issues, or is it mostly associated with the uh, this more severe weather outbreaks that we've been seeing, or are we seeing, in your estimation and what you're hearing from those folks, kind of just a, a perfect storm, a combination of You know, getting um, up in age in terms of the infrastructure itself and the the system itself. And then all obviously, too, I think, uh, you know, from what I see and traveling around as much as I have in the last year or two, I mean, a lot of folks just have the manpower and a lot of agencies just to keep things running in COVID over the last year and a half. hasn't been a lot of investment in infrastructure anyway. And of course, that's a big topic that we're talking about in the national politic right now. So it seems to me like it's a perfect storm of all of that and maybe more.
1: Yeah. And and what they were telling us, DTE, was, look, you can't really uh, create a system that withstands those types of winds, right? You are going to have trees a lot of the Detroit area has trees that are, you know, probably 50, 60, 70 years there's old. There's a town
0: named Ann Arbor. That would tell me that there's a big amount of trees there pretty close, right? <laughs>
1: and they got whacked, right? They and did, that was yeah. one of the things. I know a guy here that works with us, he was out of power for four or five days, uh, just got it back on the weekend. So, you know, it's It's that part of it. DTE has been changing um, to, metal, uh, to steel uh, poles and some fiberglass—they're just not the wood. But when you deal with, they've had areas of thirty-one hundred, I think, was the, the storm damage this time, and just a couple of weeks ago, it was twenty-one hundred lines down, poles down, uh, trees that bring them down. You know that we know of areas where a tree crew came in, right? Worked all day to restore because they had to take care of the tree but the tree is so huge and and the poles were snapped and that takes you a whole day and what do you get maybe at tops ten thousand people back online and so they brought in crews from new york canada louisiana
0: and that's going to continue here and 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 i think uh, you know what we're seeing is this continuation of uh, the fight of the warm air and it's not going away i mean it's only august we're going to probably have some more rounds of it. So, you know, severe weather is one aspect. I mean, fortunately, I mean, I think part of the reason that you've had so much severe weather is because you haven't necessarily gotten into some of the intense heat that we've been seeing and hearing about in other parts of the country, but just enough to to spawn that. So, I mean, you got heat problems, you got severe weather problems. The folks down on the Gulf Coast have tropical problems and you know, all of that just uh, adds up. I think this is going to be a major story as a as a news director at WWJ. Do you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And you know what? I mean, and in, in June, late June, we had six seven inches of rain that hit the east side of Detroit and flooded uh, upwards of twenty thousand homes that they're still dealing with. And then on top of that, a couple of weeks later, we've had tornadoes hit uh, a couple of outside in Metro Detroit. A couple of tornadoes hit, and so it has been a, a super active weather year, probably, and you mentioned earlier, you know, in in several years, the last time we had this many power outages was a windstorm in, I think, 2017, which hit around uh, March, I want to say, and that knocked people out, 700,000 people out around here. So I think- is very active. Yes.
0: We're going to have to keep talking about this because I mean, DTE, like you said, doesn't have any big solutions to anything. I mean, people want instant and immediate fixes of this and then it's just not out there to be had right now. it's going to be a lot of folks that need patience and, and planning ahead too. You need to be prepared. And I think stations like WWJ and what we do at AccuWeather hopefully help people do that, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And you know what, one thing with DTE, they said, everybody was asking, well, If trees are bringing down power lines, let's bury the power lines, right? Well, if you get flooding, number one, that hurts. But they put out a statistic. They said they priced it out. If they put 14,000 customers underground, that costs $500 million. So if Detroit has 600 plus residents, right? A lot of cities around here have 100,000 residents. You're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. And is that going to put on the residents? You know, we always complain, oh, we pay too much in electricity anyway.
0: Right. So, I mean, yeah, those are, those are big issues. Well, Rob, we appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll keep the severe weather to a minimum here as we go over the next couple of weeks in Detroit.
1: It's kind of a balancing act, as you know, Dean. We like it, but we don't
0: like it. (laughs) Right. In the radio business, we like the the story of the severe weather, but then we don't like the outcome. Well, your folks at WWJ do a great job in getting people ready, and we're proud to be part of that at AccuWeather. Thanks for spending some time here on Everything Under the Sun. Not a problem, Dave. Appreciate it. Appreciate what you do for WWJ. If you'd like to check out Rob's amazing team, who I'm so honored to work with every weekday morning, WWJ News Radio, 950 a.m. in the Detroit area. But, you know... Radio and audio, we've evolved in the 21st century. Now all you have to say is to Alexa, your Google Home, or any smart speaker, hey, listen to WWJ News Radio 950, and you're listening from around the world. It's it's great time to actually be working in audio, and they really make a difference concentrating on that Detroit area with so much information and, obviously, the AccuWeather forecast. So check them out also on Twitter at WWJ950. So, friends... Severe weather, one of the aspects that leads to power outages, but another one that we've seen very recently is extreme heat, and obviously on the western heat waves in the Pacific Northwest, amazing heat that really uh, melted infrastructure. We're going to talk about that. And so a study came out, and we saw this story on the pages of AccuWeather.com, And so often as we do, we use that as a kind of a blueprint in terms of what we're going to talk about. Well, this study uh, really dealt with the potential for critical infrastructure failures due to extreme weather events, due to major and power outages and failures of the electrical grid, really how that is going to impact health and public welfare and safety. And so... Uh, We'd like to welcome in Dr. Evan Mallon. He is a graduate of the City and Regional Planning Doctoral Program, where he studied environmental planning and climate change, teaches urban environmental planning and design, and designed the inaugural Sustainable Cities Studio. And then he continues his research uh, with the Urban Climate Lab. And one of these research projects was about this growing idea that more severe weather events are triggering more power disruptions for longer and how that thing kind of feeds onto itself. We welcome Dr. Evan Mallon to Everything Under the Sun. So Evan, I wanted to bring you in and talk about uh, the study that uh, Georgia Tech did in the uh, School of City and Regional Planning, uh, Urban Climate Lab, and really kind of dovetails onto what I was just talking with uh, Rob Davidek about at WWJ, where they've seen just an onslaught of power outages as we've gone through the summer for them it hasn't been as much as uh, just the heat waves themselves but the amounts of severe thunderstorms that we've gone through and obviously with the infrastructure concerns we're seeing that more and more it's a big topic of discussion in the uh, in political spectrum right now and and obviously it has a, a lot of uh, a credence here with all uh, the problems that we've been seeing here over the last year or two mounting up. But I wanted to kind of spend a little time and talk about the study that, you know, we saw this uh, article on our friends at AccuWeather.com. We often uh, check the pages of that and try to kind of uh, take one of these uh, articles and, and break it down a little bit. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about the study that you and your colleagues did in terms of the increasing likelihood that we are going to suffer through longer blackouts, especially in some of the major cities and major metropolitan areas going forward, based on this idea that things are getting hotter, we're seeing longer term blackouts. And like we've been seeing in Detroit, um, you know, an increased amount of severe weather partially due to that and how that's uh, kind of all interacting.
3: We've been seeing increases in blackouts, uh, frequency and duration. Uh, over the last few years. and In fact, they've gone up by about 60% over the last reporting period according to the um, Department of Energy. Uh, and at the same time, we're seeing increasing intensity, frequency, and duration of heat waves. They can be related. Uh, so these, this increasing temperature uh, not only stresses the grid um, in terms of people cranking up their air conditioning, but also just the extreme temperatures uh, and the impacts that that can have on the infrastructure itself. Uh, we saw the recent heat events in the Northwest uh, literally melting some of the infrastructure. And that, of course, can cause power outages, uh, blackouts. And so this, this study uh, was actually exploring the uh, what we call a compound event of a, a concurrent heat wave and power outage that, of course, knocks out everybody's air conditioning uh, in Atlanta, Phoenix, and Detroit. So we used uh, two different models. Uh, coupled, we have the uh, weather research forecasting model, WARF, uh, running outdoor temperatures, and then that influences a, an Energy Plus model that we run that uh, guides interior temperatures. And uh, what we found is in a, a compound event uh, with a, a concurrent heat wave and blackout, we have about uh, 70% or more of the population of all three cities experiencing interior temperatures that amount to heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. Uh, So this is a major, major public health disaster uh, that is just waiting to happen with the increased frequency and likelihood of this kind of event happening.
0: Obviously, I'm on the radio in major cities, including New York City and Boston, those areas. And and when we see heat waves, um, one of the points I always make is, you know, we talk about the duration and length of temperatures 90 plus. I mean, that's how we talk about a heat wave. Uh, We define a heat wave meteorologically by three days or more of Mm -hmm. 90 or better in terms of the temperature. But often we don't think of the compound issues like you mentioned, which is, um, you know, humidity and all those kinds of things to keep the temperature at a certain point. And then I think the biggest issue during a long duration heat wave is the inability to get any relief at night so you know you build those temperatures up during the day and i'm sure some of your data found that um and then you can't cool off at night, mm-hmm. and so that heat just continues to build. If you you know heat the room up to 80 and it only goes back to 70, that means it's a higher launching point the next day. And similar heat may take that heat inside up farther, right, uh, higher into the low to mid-80s. So that's what you're talking about, the compounding effect of long-duration mm-hmm. heat and long-duration maybe power outages in these situations.
3: Yeah, a lot of our uh, research uh, here in the urban climate lab has been moving toward the human lived experience of, of these kind of extreme temperatures and so uh, urban heat island the research for a long time has only been looking at uh, exterior temperatures. Uh, and the kind of hot spots that you might find these microclimates around uh, the urban environment due to things like impervious materials soaking up the sun and storing it as heat energy. But right. what we're we, trying to look, we,
0: into... we kind of talked about that over the years in that little kind of colloquial term, urban heat island, right, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the center of a city kind of holds on and retains that heat because of the makeup of the city and, and its infrastructure and stuff and all the concrete and stuff. It doesn't let it go at night. Uh, it doesn't radiate. So, you know, you may be 80 at night over in New York City and you go 40 miles in, and it may be down in the upper 60s to near 70s. There's quite a difference.
3: Yeah. The, the highest instantaneous uh, urban heat island that I've seen recorded was about 27 degrees uh, in New York City.
0: That's pretty uh, crazy. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that too. And so, you know, once in a while you get just everything right for that. That's that's mm-hmm. amazing. But we have moved into the, uh, the these interior temperatures to get a little
3: closer to the lived experience. And, and so uh, what we're finding is that um, the housing type actually has a major impact. In fact, a bigger impact than the urban heat island. A similar study that we we just released in uh, in Phoenix found that interior temperatures for single family detached uh, one story housing could go up by uh, about forty degrees in this kind of compound event in the interior. And so, uh, not only is that daily maximum temperature going incredibly high, but it, it, as you just mentioned, it sustains these uh, these overnight minimums at a very high temperature as well. And we know from the public health literature that that is actually more dangerous than these extreme highs. Uh, we call that a bioaccumulation of heat. Um, and that is where you start to really see uh, major human health impacts as well. And so uh, this kind of event having that sort of duration can be extraordinarily dangerous to human health. and and just like I said it, it uh, this is what we've seen in in the pacific Northwest. i mean the um the official death toll uh, as attributable to heat is is in the uh, the few hundreds now um, and so this is an extraordinarily dangerous
0: event. And relating to what we talked about with uh, Rob and the Detroit situation, I mean, when you have these long-term heat waves, especially the farther north you are in the, in the United States, up in the upper latitudes, you're usually going to break those by having some severe weather. I mean, thunderstorms And so not only are you putting a strain on the grid and the electricity during the heat wave itself, but then you've got all these big showers and thunderstorms that rocket through at the end of a heat wave, usually to bring some relief. And then that adds to the stress and damage in the the infrastructure. And I think what the concerning thing is that, you know, we're seeing even on maybe things before that were kind of marginal in terms of the heat and humidity and, and the problems, they're actually manifesting more. I would say, in the infrastructure and the problems with the with the grid and stuff than we were seeing similar temperatures before. So I, I agree. I think we're seeing accumulating effect of a lot of things. And, and a lot of it is not just the increase in temperatures, but the increase in age and all this stuff in terms of our houses and our mm-hmm. buildings and stuff that we're seeing uh, people live in and work in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's an even bigger one going on in the West, which is wildfires.
3: Uh, and so not only are we seeing wildfires knock out power just by literally burning the infrastructure, but we have uh, power companies doing these kind of preventative blackouts. So when when conditions are hot and dry, such that they might actually have uh, electrical infrastructure causing a wildfire, they will preemptively shut it down. And that is precisely when the, uh, the population would need it most for that kind of air conditioning. So these kind of compound events come in a lot of different forms. Uh, right. And that's just starting to emerge now uh, in, in the literature.
0: Also compounding in the Pacific Northwest is, I mean, this has been so uh, not a common thing for them. So they weren't built Mm -hmm. for it with many houses out there don't have air conditioning. And yet now we seem to be seeing this as a a more regular situation. Friends, we're talking with Dr. Evan Mallon of the Urban Climate Lab, the School of City and Regional Planning at Georgia Tech, the Georgia Institute of Technology, if you want to say it the right way, the whole way through. Evan, this had to be an interesting study. Um, What other things do you, in the Urban Climate Lab and School of City and Regional Planning, what are the things that you're looking at and maybe to study here to kind of pick up on what you found in this study and and further this idea that we got to really pay attention to this, the infrastructure, the ability to deal with longer term heat, uh, waves, and the severe weather that it causes?
3: This is something we've been studying for a long time. Uh, but only with this recent study have we really realized just how dangerous this can be as we start moving towards the uh, the lived experience of of people. And uh, I mean, just like you were mentioning earlier with the, the North not being built for this kind of heat, uh, the people are not built for this kind of heat either. We call this physiological acclimatization, where the, the people in the South are just used to hot temperatures and it, it, uh, these heat waves affect them just a little less. But we're seeing this kind of extreme heat everywhere now. And, and even in the north, and this is uh, a very dangerous thing. In fact, heat kills more people than any other weather-related disaster combined. It's just that we don't always put that on their death certificate. So this is something that's really important for uh, for public health, but also for urban planning. So in the Urban Climate Lab, uh, we are in the School of City and Regional Planning. So what we we approach these from an urban planning standpoint. So a lot of the work that we do is actually in modeling uh, scenarios that we think could could improve the, um, the heat situation. So these kind of thermal mitigation strategies. And so we, we will run models, uh, where we implement policies that encourage, uh, things like reflective, uh, roofing. So white roof, cool roof material, uh, or, um, increased, uh, tree planting to measure what kind of benefit they can have. In fact, in in this um, recent study in Phoenix that I referenced, we found that uh, cool roofing could lower your interior temperatures by about seven degrees. And this is passive. I mean, this is without any kind of consumption of electricity. And one thing that we know from an urban planning standpoint is that this is also uh, an environmental justice issue in that uh, we have people even now who, when the power is on, can't uh, afford to own and operate their air conditioning. And so air conditioning is, is a luxury uh, that we are increasingly seeing as kind of a life support system. Uh, we need it to be healthy. We need it to survive in these kinds of events. And so even with the power on, uh, we have people who uh, can't be running it. And that is, that is a major issue in terms of planning and how we need to address it. And one of the challenges that we have in, in extreme heat events is that we use, often use cooling centers. So we send people to a place where they can get right. air conditioning and they uh, typically don't have backup power. Uh, And so if we lose power, there's nowhere for these people to go. Uh, And of course, this is a major issue when it comes to COVID. Uh, No one wants to leave their home and go to a cramped place full of a lot of people um, when they might catch COVID while they're there. Uh, They can't bring their pets. There's a lot of restrictions. Uh, It's sometimes a little boring there. Uh, They'd rather be at home. And so it's tough to convince people to actually use the cooling centers where we have them. So this is why we want to be focusing on these kind of um, cooling policies that are a little more passive.
0: So Evan, as we look at the study now and kind of bring things together, what are some, do you have the, the the study come up with some suggestions of how we can bolster and kind of make this infrastructure better going forward with some of the things that you learned from the study itself?
3: There are a few ways that we can enhance our grid resilience nationally, and, and it's very much needed. Uh, we should absolutely have these kinds of policies that are going to better protect everyone in, in the country to have them. And so uh, the first thing we can do is to make the grid smarter. And this is something that's been going on for a long time, but this is uh, kind of an evaluation exercise where we, we should be collecting data from the outages that we have uh, so that we know how to more efficiently return power uh, so we can better restore this power where it needs it most um, and, and really hit these kind of critical areas. Uh, the second thing we can do is to strengthen the grid itself by doing things like burying power lines. Uh, a lot of the reasons that we have outages in the first place are power lines uh, getting knocked out. Or uh, in in extreme heat, um, our transmission lines can even sag uh, because, of course, when they heat up, uh, that material expands and they're going to sag. And so they might get into uh, tree limbs. Uh, So we can improve our our grid resilience just by using uh, better high temperature materials. We can do better uh, tree trimming. And we need to really protect our key infrastructure from things like trees going down or uh, extreme storm surge. And then the third thing that we can do, uh, and one of the most important, according to the uh, Department of Energy, is to uh, improve our uh, distributed generation and storage. So there's things like using distributed renewable energy. So even if the grid goes down, we will still have backup power um, from things like solar and wind that can power power. Uh, these air conditioners that we so desperately need, but also storage. Uh, The Department of Energy is really looking now into uh, integrating electric vehicles. Um, Now that we have such strong electric vehicle integration uh, just into our national fleet, uh, how we can use the batteries in those uh, to actually feed back and forth between the grid uh, to enhance our resilience in these kinds of events. So there's just a few things that we could do uh, on a national level uh, that I think would really go a long way to enhancing the resilience of our grid and ultimately save a lot of lives.
0: Well, Evan, I appreciate the information. I think this is, uh, you're right, part and parcel of uh, us kind of keeping track, and, and it's becoming... You know, like piling on now, right? It's just multifaceted. It's the uh, extreme heat, it's the smoke from the wildfires creating uh, air quality issues, and then it's the severe weather that kind of follows these uh, long heat wave events, and it's all undermining and continuing to chip away and and expose some of the real problems that we're having with infra- infrastructure, and especially in our major cities. And but not even in the cities, rural areas too uh, have uh, infrastructure issues. So mm-hmm. I appreciate your uh, input today, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from. Urban Climate Lab and the folks at uh, Georgia Tech on these issues. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. If you'd like more information about Evans' work and the work of the Urban Climate Lab at Georgia Tech, go to their website: urbanclimate.gatech.edu. Urban Climate one word. Georgia Tech. They go g a t e c h. dot edu, and that is the Urban Climate Lab website with information there. So we're going to take that information, and when we come back to Everything Under the Sun, I'm going to welcome Senior Vice President and Chief Meteorologist John Porter, and we're going to talk about how AccuWeather is responding to this obvious increase in power outages, lengths, and durations, and their effects. And John will give us an idea of the weather on the weekend ahead and the week beyond. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
2: This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Every year, children die from being left alone in cars. If you see a child left unattended, call 911 immediately. And
0: welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here on this 12th episode of our summer series as a busy episode where we're talking about a lot of things, folks, including our first raise of focus here and looking at the potential for longer duration power outages and how that impacts you, especially given all the severe and extraordinary weather that we've been having over the last couple of weeks, months, and year. And uh, it's going to continue as uh, we welcome in Senior Vice President and our Chief Meteorologist, John Porter. Jonathan, it's um, been an amazing couple of weeks and I know we just talked two weeks ago and I wanted to kind of get you in in this segment where at the end of our podcast we always take a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond and we certainly have a lot to talk about along these from <laughs> Seaboard in that regard but we also I wanted to do what we did a couple of weeks ago and and take this topic that we've been talking about and just get you a little bit of a an opportunity to talk about the things that we're doing at AccuWeather to think about this we've long known and felt it's been important to help power companies and all these things and consumers deal with power outages and we are seeing more and we're seeing longer duration ones because we're seeing more extraordinary weather and so this is something that AccuWeather has known in the past and I think is right at the cutting edge of helping people and companies both sides to deal with this issue.
4: Dean, you're right. Always good to be with you. And I think there's a couple of important points about this. One is that as we deal with increased volatility in weather, risk to infrastructure, critical infrastructure, that's road networks, in this case, utilities, and specifically power, distribution and transmission continues to be a significant concern in an area where, as you said, we've seen greater impacts in recent years. And this is something we know people and businesses care a lot about. So when we're talking about uh, when we're looking at a severe weather event, you know, Dean, you're part of this uh, discussion each and every day about what do we think how is it going to affect people? First getting the most accurate forecast, but then how is it going to affect people and businesses. And oftentimes we're considering power outages and whether or not they could be long-standing power outages. And, and what we're talking about is the kind of weather situation, be it an ice storm or a dangerous line of thunderstorms or a hurricane impact where The utilities are going to have to go, in some cases, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood to rebuild the network. That takes time. And sometimes that can take up to a couple of weeks in the hardest hit areas.
0: Detroit just has gone through that in the last week or so with all the severe thunderstorms. I mean, there's uh, been several days. Uh, You and I remember when Penn State here, we got a huge snowstorm in November and there were still leaves on the trees. And we had tremendous power outages in central Pennsylvania. I didn't get hit by the first wave of it when the actual storm was going on. But then about two or three days later, our transformer behind our house blew. And then mm-hmm. we we were low end of the totem pole. And so, yeah, you're right. And uh, we're going to deal with another uh, tropical system. So this week coming up the eastern seaboard, which that always portends long term power outages and long duration ones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, really cogent right now. And again, I think both on the consumer side with our website and the products there and all the information that we give out here at AccuWeather. And then I wanted you to talk a little bit about, because as a business person, I would think that these are things that I need to make critical decisions, knowing that things are deteriorating and probably deteriorating even at a more rapid rate in the last couple of years because of COVID and lack of maintenance and those issues as well.
4: Well, that's right. And in fact, we've we've launched on the AccuWeather for business side of our operation. We have a special uh, layer that we uh, generate as part of our maps and insights that we provide to over half the fortune five hundreds and thousands of other companies. When we expect widespread power outages from all kinds of different weather threats, we identify that within the tools that we provide to our customers then they can intersect it with where their business locations are and identify where there's a risk for long-term power outages. That's been a, a tool that we've had a much positive feedback on because it can help, as you say, from a business continuity and planning perspective. The other thing that has been important about that across the board of Late Dean is with so many people working from home, power outages and utility outages are a big deal in terms of getting Uh, work done now, being connected to the office in the way that many people need to be. And we've seen many companies being extra concerned about that because their remote workforce. Think about if you're managing a call center and you have uh, representatives working from their homes all over a particular city, if you deal with a big power outage there, that means you have to have another call center ready to go in order to take those calls. So that's just one of the many things we've seen. And uh, with the kinds of extreme weather events that we've been dealing with. Um, that's a, been a big issue for people and businesses. And one final point I'll bring out is we talk about the impacts from the power outage perspective on weather events. We oftentimes will highlight that in the forecast, saying that there's a significant concern for power outages to raise awareness so that people could start being prepared because a little bit of preparation goes a long way in these kinds of situations.
0: Absolutely. And as much advance notice. And I think, you know, it's funny as we record this, it's um, Thursday afternoon. This will drop Friday morning, but had a situation where overnight, Wednesday night into Thursday morning, there was a slew of tornado warnings just west of uh, New York City. And then it went up into uh, the Hudson Valley and then Boston started to get its turn. Now, I know the folks, I, I had a lot of comments and tweets about why did we get all these incessant tornado warnings? And, you know, some of that was the nature of that kind of tornado. The The kinds of tornadoes that are usually spawned in that situation are very uh, normally short lasting you know it's mm-hmm. so it's, it's a situation where everything and and the, and the whole atmosphere just kind of conspires to put some twists there the the winds ramp up and you get a small little twist for a little bit and then it kind of twists out and it and it actually falls apart we had to come right over state college that same kind of situation on wednesday so again this is the kinds of issues right now where i hear A lot of people complaining about the information that they're getting. And then I wonder, would they really be complaining if that situation uh, was going to cause injury or death in their family? I mean, we just don't know well enough necessarily in advance the certainty of these things. I'd rather know ahead of time. And it was an interesting phenomenon, the the complaints. But yet I can understand. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough situation on both sides right there.
4: Uh, That's why uh, we always recommend everyone to take warning seriously. As Dean, as you mentioned, in this kind of a situation when you're dealing with a tropical rainstorm, in addition to producing the life-threatening and copious rain that we've been dealing with across parts of the Appalachians, in fact, some places, Dean, had a month's worth of rainfall in 18 hours or less. In addition to that big risk, we were also talking about the risk for isolated tornadoes All across the eastern seaboard with this particular storm. And as you mentioned, these circulations that produce these tornadoes, they're not like other kinds of thunderstorms that have more persistence to them. These come and go, but they do produce damage and they can produce injuries too. Um, They're on the ground only typically for a short period of time, but they're just as dangerous. And we want people to take them just as seriously.
0: It looks like um, John's from Connecticut. And uh, you got that like right. They, they got one in that scenario. Looks like uh, one from the stuff I was seeing uh, on Thursday. There was uh, definitely a quick spin up uh, in there in uh, Eastern Connecticut. All right. Look, um, I want to just upfront tell you that if you're listening to this over this upcoming weekend after this podcast drops and in the upcoming week, you are going to want to get in touch with AccuWeather, accuweather.com, our network, uh, all of our great media partners especially anywhere along the eastern seaboard, because of Monry. Um, John and I are going to talk a little bit about some thoughts. And again, we're understanding that the, we're recording this two, three, four days out from when this could be a major factor for folks along the eastern seaboard. But, um, you know, I've, what I was saying, even at this early date, John, is if you're along the coast, you should be preparing. If you are farther inland, you should be aware and thinking about how you would prepare. But even a miss in this in terms of the center of the storm, Henri, even if it does not directly interact with land, and we haven't had one in the Northeast till 30 years ago, right around this time, Hurricane Bob, right? Yep. Remember that one? 1991, yep. So, but even with a close miss, there's going to be a lot of coastal impacts um, that we should already be thinking about and preparing for. So, you know, there's a couple of scenarios here. Just real briefly, I think... um, there's one scenario that was concerning us and still has my attention of the way this could all work out where Henri gets captured and pulled in somewhere along the eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another scenario that or he comes up and kind of then just starts to bend away, uh, but makes a pretty close pass to Long Island and especially the the Cape and the islands. And then there's the, you know, the the kind of hug, the strafe and just out and pulled out by. Uh, the next trough. So there, there's definitely scenarios that we're going to watch here over the next few days. But any of those scenarios, there's still going to be problems along the immediate coast for sure, I believe. And, and I think folks should be preparing for that. Is that uh, an adequate summary in your your mind there?
4: Uh, I think it's a great summary of, of uh, all the three situations that we're concerned about as Henri continues to move to the north. We'll also add that we we think Henri, especially over the next couple of days, is going to be strengthening. Correct. Over very warm water.
0: Correct. With little um, shear.
4: Little shear. So it looks like, uh, you know, this could be a situation where uh, Henri continues to strengthen up to a Cat 1 or Cat 2 hurricane. And I think one of the things that's so important in this kind of situation is making preparations for what we know now. And as you said very eloquently there, along the coast, now is the time to prepare. And regardless of which of those scenarios end up playing out, there will be coastal impacts in terms of the risk for coastal flooding, rough surf, rip currents. Remember, this is uh, one didn't of we,
0: the last we, uh, weekends of the summer. I uh, hate to interrupt, but didn't we have a couple of deaths midweek from rough surf, I think, off the uh, Carolina coast? So We, we, just, um, this, we, this, we did. Yeah, and, and so so this is going to be something that, again, even if pass away, uh, folks need to take this seriously uh, in that regard.
4: Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, unfortunately, every year, uh, rip currents are a major reason that uh, people lose their life from weather-related incidents and and also the number of water rescues that occur too. So along the eastern seaboard, there's going to be there's certainly coastal impacts. It's one of the last weekends of the summer. People are going to be out there. So be prepared and uh, be aware of those coastal impacts. And certainly, as you said, Dean, those three scenarios are in play. The pattern itself, though, certainly has a more ominous look to it in the last couple of model runs where the sense that the storm is going to be pulled back toward the coast and that Mm -hmm. there'll be more of a significant risk for impacts, especially across uh, southeastern Massachusetts uh, and the the islands here and into portions of Rhode Island as well. So definitely anywhere along the northeastern seaboard, you'll want to stay tuned to us at AccuWeather.com. We've got great new tools that we've launched in our free mobile app, that allow you to track not only where the hurricane is at, but what impacts we're expecting across the Eastern seaboard and right down to your community. It's really easy to use um, and get those interactive map layers. And of course we push out all the warnings too.
0: Right. And please understand with that, that forecast IPATH folks, um, as you go farther along in the track, pay attention as much to the cone as the IPATH. Okay. Mm. Because we just know that you know where we are in in forecasting as good as we are we get past a certain point and the errors become real and we have to keep adjusting and so that will continue to adjust and that's the other good thing about that product is you know as we continue to update our thinking you know hour by hour actually minute by minute sometimes yeah yeah, that that will be adjusted and so you can tell but You know, if you're two or three days away from it, really take a look at that cone, not just where the eye goes over. And also that begs and maybe we should do a podcast sometime about explaining, again, the differences in different parts of a storm, you know, whereas if you're on the west side, it's Mm. one situation and. The eastern side, it's another. So, yeah, these are all things that certainly you need to watch. A lot of heat this weekend in the middle of the country. That's going to expand back. I think our friends like in St. Louis will start to get towards another heat wave as we get into early next week. A little cool down for the Pacific Northwest, a little monsoonal flow, giving some showers and thunderstorms over New Mexico, up into Colorado. But, again, the main focus of the weather, I think, across much of the country will be what's going to happen with Henri here as we go over the weekend.
4: That's right. And uh, actually across the West, Dean, a a shot of fall Yeah, in in the Intermountain West, which is uh, going to be welcome. A little bit more moisture that will help with some wildfires, especially across the North and 10 to 15 degrees below normal. So a very active weather weekend across the country, Dean.
0: Jonathan, I know you're proud of your team. I know your team's working hard every day. And uh, thank you for your leadership. And we will talk to you soon here on Everything Under the Sun. Look forward to it. Thanks again. Friends, I've said it a few times, and I'll say it one more time in this podcast. If you are looking for the latest information, please use the great resources of AccuWeather on Henri. It is going to be a major story, and you can get the latest information right on your AccuWeather app with that great forecast tracker and the iPath right there on the front. And then also our great AccuWeather.com website, the AccuWeather Network, and all of our great media partners. I'll be on 1010 Winds and WBZ in Boston on... Sunday I know that uh, in the morning and into the early afternoon and uh, we'll certainly keep a track of it and I have the latest information here as we go through the weekend into early next week as well as you know this could be going into Monday where we have impacts up along the northeast as well so check in with AccuWeather early and often on that our hundreds of team members are going to be working very hard here over the next several days as uh, we always do. And we thank our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb for lining up this podcast with certainly our thanks to Evan Mallon and Rob Davidek and John Porter friends uh, coming up next week. We're going to talk to our friends at AAA, a lot of trends I've been noticing. Traffic is down in terms of numbers and volume, but fatalities are up. We're also seeing uh, a lot of more accidents and problems on the roadways and talk about a new study that the AAA just did about how the pandemic has changed traffic patterns. And do we think those go back to pre-pandemic, or does the trend that happened over the pandemic stick around? So those are interesting topics with AAA next week. For all of us at AccuWeather.com, have a great week. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com.